Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The book of Nehemiah divides nicely in two sections. Chapters 1 through 6 are the reconstructing of the walls. Chapters 7 through 13 are the reconstructing of the people. And at this point in the book of Nehemiah, the walls are complete, the gates are hung. Ezra got a copy of the Word of God. Were you with me last week? Were you with me last week? Ezra got a copy of the Word of God, great chapter, Nehemiah chapter 8. And he stood before the people, and he read from the word of God distinctly, Nehemiah 8, 8. He read from the word distinctly, and he stood before the people, and he gave the sense, the Bible says, and the people were touched by the word, and they began to weep. Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites said, stop weeping, for the joy of the Lord is your what, saints? Strength. Stop weeping. This is a time of feasting and rejoicing. Chapter 8, there's praise and focus on the word of God. Chapter 9, the people respond to the word in genuine repentance and sorrow. And that's kind of how it always works. When God's word is properly explained and proclaimed, the response will always be genuine repentance. In chapter 8, Ezra and Nehemiah comforted the afflicted. In chapter 9, the comfortable are afflicted. Chapter 8, the people were excited and encouraged. Chapter 9, the people go from celebration to confessing, from feasting to fasting, from bubbling in the Lord to brokenness before the Lord. Chapter 9 is a prayer of repentance and celebration of the goodness of God. Write this down, Ezra 9, Daniel 9, Nehemiah 9 are all prayers of repentance. Ezra 9, Daniel 9, Nehemiah 9 are all prayers of repentance. Nehemiah 9 is the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. It's a beautiful biblical prayer full of quotations and recollections and images and Phrases from Israel's history. As you read Nehemiah 9, you get the sense of prayer and praise and celebration. I've titled this sermon, From Celebration to Humiliation. This is a long chapter. Uh, So many pieces to it. I didn't quite know how to jump in and how to get going and how much to read and when to stop. And so... 
We'll see how it works out. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 9, if you're looking at, pardon me, beginning in verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, say amen. amen. Now on the 24th day of this month, that will be the seventh month, the same month from chapter 8, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth with dust on their heads. And then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, from one fourth of the day and for another fourth of the day, they confessed and worshiped the Lord, their God. And then a bunch of guys stood on the stairs of the Levites and they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord, their God. And then a bunch of guys said in verse five, are you looking at it? What they say, read it with me. Stand up and bless the Lord, your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. The wall is completed. The wall is working. The people had heard the word and they obeyed the word. The Holy Spirit was doing a significant work in the lives of the people. And now we come to this dramatic scene of humble repentance. Verse 1 tells us on the 24th day of the seventh month, the children of Israel were assembled fasting in sackcloth and dust on their heads. Now the people are fasting are you listening? The people are fasting because they wanted to say to God, we are so troubled by our sin, food seems unimportant. The people are wearing sackcloth, which is a rough fabric that irritates the skin. And by wearing this, they wanted to show God their complete poverty of spirit. This is to say we are so troubled by our sin, the normal comforts of life are unimportant. And then dust on their heads. They would take a handful of dust and throw it on their heads. And this was to say, we are so troubled by our sin that cleanliness is not important. They did this publicly to show that they were humbled before God. Notice in verse 2, the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. This was to say, we're going to take a stand. There's going to be something different about us. We're not going to mingle with unbelievers. We're not going to partake of what unbelievers partake of. They're saying, God, we're going to be separate from the world. Truth is, listen, separation should mark the people of God. Did you hear me? Separation, not isolation. Don't get that twisted. Separation, not isolation. You know, all the Christians can't go work in the church. This kind of isolation. All the Christians can't. We only talk to each other. We only fellowship with each other. We only talk, you know, hang out with each other. Well, that's not good. That's isolation. But separation, we're separate. We're holy unto the Lord. Separation should mark the people of God. The church is supposed to be separate and different from the world, right? 
And I don't know why we spend so much time seeking to appeal to the world. The church was never established by Jesus to appeal to the world. The world is supposed to offer worldly things. The church is supposed to be different and offer spiritual things. The church should cause the world to be thirsty and to come after Jesus. Instead, we're telling the world to come in the church where there's a comfortable environment for them to relax and be comfortable. This is what's going on in the church today. The church, it's unfortunate. It's so sad. The direction that I see the church taking today is sad. And I can't help but believe that it grieves the heart of God. That his church, his people is turning into a social club for everybody and anybody. The church was never meant for non-believers. Never. So when we go to churches, people have said to me, well, how come we don't have more altar calls? Or how come the church, you know, I believe we should have altar calls every single Sunday, every time people gather together. Listen, that, that, that's not a bad thing, but I can tell you this, uh, that's not a biblical thing. It really isn't. They didn't have altar calls in the early church because non-believers didn't come to church because it wasn't popular to be a Christian in the early church. If you were a Christian in the early church, you'd be killed if you were discovered. So non-believers didn't come to the church. The church was never established or formed, or, 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 or Jesus never, never instituted a, a church where people, of, uh, where non-believers could come and be comfortable. There go the seeker church. I don't understand that. Non-believers, listen, non-believers should come to church and they should feel uneasy. Non-believers, I'm going to say it again because some of y'all didn't hear me. Non-believers should come to church and feel uneasy. They should be squirming in their seat. They should be uncomfortable. They should look uncomfortable. They should be uncomfortable. They should be sweating. And you know you're uncomfortable when you're just sitting and sweating. Your metabolism is going. Why? Because God's word is being taught and the Holy Spirit is present. The presence of the Lord is in the house of God because there is light in the house of God because the Holy Spirit is working and moving in the house of God. And if someone is in the house of a Lord who doesn't know the Lord, that should make them itchy in their seats. Absolutely. Chapter 9, they separated themselves from the world and they confessed their sins. And I want you to look at verse 3. It tells us they stood up and read a quarter part of the day, a fourth part of the day, from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Interesting. They read the Bible for three hours straight. Now, I've heard preachers tell me that they can't preach a sermon more than 20, 25 minutes on a Sunday before people start, you know, getting uncomfortable. And I've heard of preachers telling me people were shaking their keys. I've heard of this kind of nonsense, shaking their keys. And they're like, well, you know, and look at, <clears throat> or some people, you know, sitting up front, they shut their Bible as to give the preacher a sign. It's time to close. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I don't do signs, okay? <laughs> you can shake your keys you can do whatever you want to do. I'm going to preach to the Holy Spirit. Tell me to stop. Usually, I'll wait till you 
Usually that's about 35, 45 minutes. The Holy Spirit got a time lock on me, and, and, and that's okay too. But people, you know, preachers are, oh, and man, I tell people, man, on a Wednesday night, I preach for probably almost an hour. Praise the Lord. That means you have learned to digest meat, that you can sit for an hour. I am blessed by this church, proud of this church. And I tell other preachers on a Wednesday night, because I have the time, I can preach for an hour and the people will sit there and they'll listen and they'll stay with me. And don't get me wrong. I'm not endorsing, you know, reading the Bible and sitting to hear a sermon for a quarter of the day. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be done before 10. And... Uh, <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I understand. I talked to you about it last week. I told you that I understand that the mind cannot absorb what the rear cannot endure. <laughs> so we got cushioned seats for y'all to get a little bit more mileage out of you. So I understand that. And I understand that there is a balance there. But notice the people of God, they listen to the word for three hours straight Listening to the word of God, a quarter part of the day, they listen to the word of God. And another quarter to part of the day, look at verse three again, they confessed and they worshiped. So they're in service for six hours, three hours of the word and three hours of worship. Verse four tells us then a bunch of Levites stood on the steps and they cried out to God in verse five. Then the Levites and a bunch of his buddies said to the people, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Interesting. He had them stand for three hours and now he wants them standing forever and ever. That's what I got out of it. Look at verse five. Blessed be the glorious name which is exalted above God. Blessed be the glorious name which is exalted above all blessings and praise. I love that verse. It's interesting. Don't miss it. Blessed be the glorious name. Now, listen, nobody knew what the glorious name was. The name was so glorious, Jewish men and women would never speak the name. It was too holy to pass between the unholy lips of men. Interesting today, even today, when a Jew writes the name of God, he only uses consonants. Y-H-V-H. Y-H-V-H. Here's your word for the day. That's called a tetragrammaton. A tetragrammaton. Y, we have Yah. H, we have Ho. VH, we have V. Yahovah. Somebody says, and some say YHWH, or some write YHWH, and they say Yahweh, and that puts vowels in the name. But to the Jews, the name of God was holy and thus unpronounceable. When the Jew was reading and studying the Hebrew Bible and they came to the name of God, he would bow his head and say the name or Hashem or Adonai. Sometimes they would combine Adonai and Hashem and say Adoshem. Adoshem means Lord name. When they wrote the name of God, they would write G-D. They would never put the vowel there. G dash D, and then they would put the quill down. Y'all know what a quill is? I told you what a cobbler was, didn't I? You know what a quill is? A quill is a pen, you know, with big feather on it. And they would put the, dip it in ink, and they would write G 
dash D, and then they would put the quill down, go take a bath and cleanse themselves, come back and all and, and, and begin the rite again. And all of this was because even though they didn't know what the name was, it was still a glorious and holy name. The name. Blessed be your glorious name. Don't we sing a song like that? Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away. Oh, yes. You give and take away. I will choose to say. I can't remember songs tonight. Lord, blessed be your name. We sing that. This is where we get it from. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. Now, saints, listen, beginning in verse 6, it begins that prayer. And again, as I told you, it's the longest prayer in the Bible. In this prayer, I see eight reasons to praise God. You got a pen? Eight reasons to praise God. Eight reasons why Israel praised God and why we should praise God. I'll give them all to you. And then for the rest of the evening, we'll work from this outline. How's that? Eight reasons why we and Israel praise God. Number one. We are to praise God because he's the creator and maker of everything. In verse 6. Secondly, we're to praise God because he's the one who called us and he chose us in verse 7 and 8. Thirdly, we're to praise God because he delivers from sin and enslavement in verse 9 through 12. Fourthly, we're to praise God for his providential care. He is the provider. We're to praise him because he's a creator. We're to praise him because he called us and chose us. We're to praise him because he's a deliverer. We're to praise him because he's a provider in verses 13 through 15. And then number five, we're to praise God for his patience and forgiveness. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise him for his patience and forgiveness. I'm thankful. In verse 16 through 21. And then number six, we're to praise God for the victories he has brought us. In verse 22 through 25. We praise him for his patience and forgiveness. We praise him because he gives us victory. We praise him, number seven, because he's the one who chastises us. We praise him for his chastising. In verse 26. Through 31. And then finally, we're to praise God for his restoration. I'm going slow so you can write it down. We're to praise God for his restoration. Let me read it to you again. We're to praise God because he's our creator and he's the maker of everything. We praise God because he's the one who called us and he chose us. We're to praise God because he, number three, anybody write it down. He delivers us from sin and enslavement. Number four, we're to praise God before, because what? Because providential care. He's the provider. Number five, we're to praise God because of his patience and forgiveness. Number six, we're to praise God for the victories he has brought us. Number seven, we're to praise God for his chastising. And number eight, finally, we're to praise God for his restoration. There you go, preachers. There's an outline for you. That's a freebie. 
You can use it. Number one, we're to praise God because he's the creator and the maker of everything. Look at verse six. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Number one, we're to praise God because he's the creator and he's the maker of everything. Again, Nehemiah 9 is the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. This prayer goes from verse 5 all the way through verse 38. This is not only a long prayer, but listen, I believe it's an important prayer. Because as you look at Israel as a nation, it seems between the return from the Babylonian captivity and the coming of Jesus, this seems to be the high point of Israel. Are you listening? This seems to be the high point of Israel spiritually and nationally. In other words, at this point in the nation's history, they are repentant. And truly, they have a heart of worship. You'll see what I'm talking about when we read a little more. Truly, they have a heart of worship and wanting to know God and wanting to get back to the things of God. So at this point in history, their hearts are full of repentance and praise, unlike any other time in history. So here we have an important prayer um, because it's a high point in their history. From the Babylonian captivity to the coming of the Lord. This seems to be the high point. Verse five, the Levites say, stand up, bless the Lord your God. Blessed be your glorious name. The name of the Lord is exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that's in them. Because this great God made everything, we should praise him. I think of Psalm one. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 1 through 6. And it says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. As a matter of fact, I don't know, can you keep up with me? Read it with me. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Is that another slide? In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other. And there is nothing hidden from, nothing hidden from its heat. We're to praise God. He's the creator of everything. Heaven's declared the glory of God. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Go outside, look up in the sky, and say hi to God. Amen. God's not in the clouds. He made the clouds. Don't get it right. Don't get it twisted. God's not in the trees. He made the trees. God's not in the stars. He made the stars. God's not in the sun. He made the sun. He made everything that we see. You go to the beach, how can you not see God? What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? How can you go to the beach and not see God? Again, he's not in the sand, but he made the sand. 
and his thoughts are numbered towards you more than the sand on the sea. In other words, you can't count them. How much he's thinking about you and how much he loves you. But when you go to the beach and you look at the ocean, the vastness of the ocean, how can you not believe, man, there's God, the creator of everything. Number two, praise God, because he's the one who called us and chose us in verse seven and eight. Look at verse seven. You are the Lord God who chose, who saints Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you you, and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, and the Gergesites, and any other ites, to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.